This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Occasionally, we as believers need a reminder of who we really are. Martin Luther did it by nailing his 95 theses to a church door. And today, Luke and Katie Abafi are calling for Reformation 2.0 in a new book called The Way, a reminder to churches today that they are Israel and as such should start acting like it. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans, welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. We've all seen movie trailers, but have you ever seen a movie trailer for a book? Well, you're going to see one tonight when we sit down with Luke and Katie Abafi. We're talking about their new book calling for a Reformation 2.0 to remind the church that they have not replaced Israel, but they are part of Israel. Yes. So this is a good one for Christian friends and relatives to watch. And speaking of which, they were probably wondering why you are celebrating Purim this week. Well, we hope you enjoyed those teachings over the last few days. And now it's time to head into the third Shabbat of the 12th month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. We are now, as you can see, just a few weeks away from Passover. So let's talk about that with Angie Clark and David Robinson. Welcome back, guys. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Now, so Purim, uh, now we need to mention something about this last week. So we had uh, the four episodes of Michael Rood's Purim uh, series. So that was kind of, if you saw it, great. If you didn't, well, it's gone for another year. But there is something on the app yes. that we can be watching. And this is uh, the series we did with Avi Lipkin. It was uh, too hot for YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. it's astounding. I love yeah. this. So we need to put, it's all about politics and religion. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's, uh, we, we hit all of the uh, sacred cows and slaughter them all. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, <laughs> the, less, the, the second episode, or there's two more episodes left. One just played on the 8th, mm -hmm. uh, a couple days ago. And now there's another one coming up on the 22nd. So watch for that. It's on the app and you can watch it there. Uh, there's the information on the bottom of your screen. It's Politics and Religion with Avi Lipkin, a guy I know who knows quite a bit about this stuff. He's been at this for yeah. a while. Yep. He's got so, the Bible block party in Israel. Very appropriate uh, teaching for today. Yeah, mm, isn't very. it? Right? He, and I get this, he is, uh, he's not a believer. He's He's Jewish, mm -hmm. and, but he is trying to create this Jewish Christian uh, conglomerate mm -hmm. for a party in Israel's Knesset. Wow. So, and you, you know, he's coming up against a lot of roadblocks, as I'm you can bad. imagine. And, yeah. But he's like, no, I, people need to understand. When he first came to America to start preaching in churches uh, about what's going on in Israel, he realized this notion we have that all Christians hate Jews is wrong. Right. This is so he's trying to educate his his Jewish brethren about this and saying, hey, look, these are people are not our enemies, they're our friends. Yeah. So that's why he keeps coming and preaches in, in mm. churches and things. And that's why he came here. And so he tells us all about uh Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, everything, how it all connects in this series. And so that's why it's real important to watch it on the app. Yeah. Now, that, that is so prophetic in nature too. I'm thinking of Ezekiel's, mm -hmm. you know, stick in one hand made Jew and Gentile come mm -hmm. together in right. this hour. Yeah, exactly. Now, speaking of things that have happened recently. So uh, before the cameras came on, uh, Angie, you were telling David and I about how the recent earthquakes in uh, in Turkey yes. have actually done something kind of miraculous. I mean, there's been lots of damage and death, but oh, there's something good come horrific. out of this. Horrific, yes. This was in an in Israeli news. They have unearthed a scroll of Esther, and it just so happens it's during the season of Purim. Mm -hmm. is, is, is that a mistake? Is that... Coincidence? So this is an older. So you can so, look that up. Uh, I'm like any yeah. headline news is part. Yeah, okay. I, it's it's actually we have a, a a staff member, Matthew Weimer. He's our watchman. He, he keeps everybody you know up on what's going on in yeah. the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, he posted it in our little chat room. Oh, good. And okay. so yeah, so it yeah. Wow. You have to know where to look. You know, you, yes. you can't just look on CNN or. Nah, they're not going to have things. it. No, yeah. we don't even. These are places like there. Telegram. Yes, Telegram. Right? Yeah. Uh, the Gateway Pundit. Mm -hmm. you know, places like this that are a little 
you know, people might go, the gateway what? But yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and everybody associates scammers with Telegram, but there's some really good news sources. And this oh, particular yeah. one was from Israel. It was Israeli news. Wow. So, do you so. do you remember if it was like a, was it a, um, an older manuscript, or is it an original? Like, what are they talking? Is it, what are that, they, that's still up for, um, for interpretation. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. And so, the but the fact of the matter is, it was unearthed during this from this earthquake during Purim. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So whether it's trying to remind us the uh, lesson that is in the story of Purim. Actually, Tiffany and I, this morning at five o'clock, we were praying into this and we believe it's a time, true time for repentance. Mm -hmm. You know, Purim is not about dressing up like Halloween. Mm -hmm. It is a time for repentance and, you know, saying I'm going to see the king, whether I live or die, I got to find him. Absolutely. Yep, you definitely see a slumber in the body of Yeshua right now. Mm-hmm. You really do, um, and I think um, I think we got to be ready, you know, for what's coming. And there's a lot coming, Absolutely. even this year financially. You know, we could talk about that sometime, but uh, there's a lot of changes coming, and we need to be ready for it. We and our faith current, is going to yes. have to be strong to to make it through the things that are coming. And we always talk about, yeah, I mean, throughout history, people say, oh yeah, you know, uh, this is gonna happen, this is, in, and time goes by and nothing happens. There are things in the works right now on a global scale that are gonna change everything. David, Absolutely. we have a couple of Absolutely. minutes, but would you, you have sort of a, an insight on this, and not a lot of people do, with, with the, uh, with the cryptocurrencies and digital yeah. dollars. Just give us your synopsis of what people well, might should be doing. You know, every time our country and our financial system, every, every time we have inflation, what happens is the feds, they raise the interest rates. So they do that to increase the value of the dollar, the USDT. So, um, but what that does for other countries and their buying power, they don't like it very much, okay? We, in 1971, Nixon um, removed gold as right. the backing commodity for the US dollar. 74, they went, what in the heck do we do? So they, where'd they go? They go to Saudi Arabia uh, to form the petrodollar. Um, and at this point right now, Saudi Arabia's, you know, with the inflation costs, and we're like, we don't need the dollar. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's 140 countries that it's already started that are going to just do away with the use of the dollar. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you this know? is where we have these central bank. And now you have the CBDC. You have the government going after all these cryptocurrencies. It's just like the dot com. The dot com. You remember there were all these dot com companies. Once they the feds gave regulation and oversight, then there was like five percent. Mm. So the true ones rose to the top. And it's going to be the same way with the cryptocurrency. There's a mm-hmm. bunch of scam coins out there out of 20,000, 30,000 coins. But there are those coins that actually solve world issues. I mean, they have a utility associated with the coin. Mm. And so those things will rise to the top. And, and uh, there's a new ledger platform uh, that's uh, called the ISO 222, which all major banking systems are putting in place. Yes, look into that. It is, this, yes. it, every major institution has already put it in place. Yes. They haven't flipped the switch yet, but they're ready for it. Yes. Mm. And we're talking about JP Morgan, Chase, all those, wow. those really large, but we, we could go into this yeah. for We'll, we'll talk about that yeah. another week. We, this need is we, we really we need to really prepare do. our people. We, we really need do. To. Absolutely, yeah. Because that's something we believers need to know about, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, so up next. Speaking of which, are we Israel? Well, it's time we started acting like it. Stay tuned for Reformation 2.0 with Luke and Katie Abafi right after Michael Rood and the Kiddush. Stay with us. In Matthew's account of the gospel, Yeshua says that we are the light of the world. But in some parts of the world, the darkness we are to expose is more intense than we can imagine. Making the gospel relative, I don't believe, is conducive to making disciples. We're not supposed to be relative. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be the answer to a lost and dying world. Sharing experiences about his work to bring the Torah to Native American people here at home and to enslaved young women in the darkest reaches of India and Pakistan. Rodney Thompson brings a wake-up call to apathetic believers in Dealing with Darkness. Dealing with Darkness is our gift to thank you for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in March, we'll send you Dealing with Darkness on DVD or Blu-ray. 
Donate $100 and we'll send you Dealing with Darkness, plus an olive wood mezuzah from Israel, featuring the Shema in Hebrew and English, inscribed both on the wood and written on a scroll inside. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts, Dealing with Darkness, the olive wood Shema mezuzah, plus a 10-inch decorative butterfly bowl featuring vibrant hand-painted artwork by artists in Israel. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rood Awakening International in March. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. Folks around these parts tell me you're pretty quick with that shofar. I am. And that's a, a mighty purdy holster you got there. You sure you can uh, <clears throat> make me one? I am. Dude, why do you keep saying I am? It's the name of God, dude. Yeah-ho-vah, you know, I am. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> There's only one problem with that, partner. You see, this Sabbath gathering ain't big enough for two shofar. Are you saying we should draw? I am. Man. On the morning that the Passover lambs were selected, there were two loaves that were put on the wall of the temple. When the first one was removed, after that, no more leavened bread was eaten. When the second loaf was removed, then all of the leavened bread in the land of Israel was then burned because the Feast of Unleavened Bread was going to commence at sunset that evening. The night before, Yeshua took Artos, he took leavened bread and he blessed the Most High in the presence of his disciples and he interpreted the Kadosh Mikra, the holy rehearsal that Melchizedek put in place with Abraham. Yeshua said the prayer of the Melech Zadik, Barukata Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaAlam, Homotzi Lechemim Haaretz. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this represents my body, which is now broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Then Yeshua took the cup and he said, Baruch Atah, Yehovah, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Barei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then he said, you take my cup, divide it among yourselves. I will not drink a sip of the fruit of the vine till I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So as often as we do this now, we rehearse not only his death, but we rehearse that we will be at the marriage supper of the lamb and at the marriage supper of the lamb, he will take his cup and say, Laheim to life everlasting. And until then, Shabbat Shalom.
So why do we do it? Why do we in church try to redefine things? I mean, God said it perfectly in the Bible. Why do we try to redefine sin, for example? Sin is the transgression of the Torah. What is so hard about that? Why do we have to reinvent the wheel? Well, Luke, Katie, Abafi, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. And Thanks. we're gonna talk about this very thing. You guys have done two great documentaries. We've talked about those in the last couple of weeks. And now, you guys did something surprising. So I went online expecting to see, oh, they have a new documentary. I, I saw a trailer and everything. <laughs> it's a book. <laughs> a trailer for a book. I'm like, that's brilliant. <laughs> How did they think of that? Anyway, so we're gonna get into uh, what this is all about. But first of all, you have this trailer, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, can we watch that first? Sure. Okay, all right, here it is. All right, so there we have it, The Truth, right? This is the, your new book. So you guys have done documentaries. We've already discovered that, oh, so Katie, you were in film and commercials and all this kind of stuff and singing and, and, and Luke, you were a journalist. You decided to do documentaries. How did you decide to make your next, proje next project a, a book? Oh man. <laughs> I mean, why not a documentary, I guess is the question. All right, well, of course I would want to make the next project be a documentary, but I didn't even want to write the book. I didn't want to do this next project, The Truth. Um, why? Why would you want to do this? <laughs> I wanted the end result. So the end result would be a Torah apologetic for um, believers to defend their perspective that the law of Yah is still relevant today. And I wanted that for my sons, Max and Sam. I wanted them to have a just my reasoning written out, and that's part of why it's a book, so that they could go and say, look, this is what my dad believes about the Bible, and it's different than what partially, you know, partially different from what the mainstream Christian take is on, on faith. And so I wanted to write that out for them, and I thought I would do it when I was like quite an old man, and I thought <laughs> I won't be able to do it till then. But then the father like interrupted my life and I probably don't have to go into that whole story, but he interrupted it through like a, a, um, a traumatic event where I got injured and I was in the ER and I'm gonna have the operation like to, to heal me and... Um, he ran a stake through his hand. Tell us the story, Katie. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming back from the play group and Luke is there with a the bloody thing wrapped around his hand and he just calmly says, drive to the hospital. We need to so go he to the just gets too. in. And <laughs> How do you do this? Like, where, where was this? This is why I didn't want to go into the I'm story, sorry. Scott. It was too embarrassing. You tell your story, I'll tell my story of how I got the scar on my head. You okay. go, you right. go as first. As long as we can okay. like, swap them. <laughs> um, so I grew up on a farm and I've built fences all the time. We built fences with wooden posts and this was with a T post, a metal T post. So I should know what I'm doing, but I'm hammering in this T post with like a heavy T post driver. It's like this metal cylinder and with the two handles on the side and I'm beating it in and I see it's not straight, the post, and I'm, I'm straightening it with my foot and I'm coming up and I come off of the post and don't realize it and I swing down as hard as I can and I just stabbed the T post into my hand here and it was old and rusty. This is the kind of stuff we're using over there. On the <laughs> oh my and word. It stabbed into my hand and it just made it all like hamburger meat and it cut my tendon in half. Yeah. So wow, I had to go to the hospital to sew the tendon back together. And they, had, they wanted to put me under to do it. And I've never d had a surgery like where they put you under. So I was laying there as you wait for hours to get in line for the surgery. And I was thinking, you know, what if I react poorly with these, you know, uh, drugs that they use to put you under? And the anesthetic yes, and um, all that weird stuff that goes through your head. And I thought, what would I be happy with what I've accomplished in my life? And what would I want to do before I died? And this was it. And, and this is a thing I had thought about writing for years and years. My perspective on the, the Bible, basically. And I want, because I want it for my sons. And so I was like, then I have to do it. If I survive the operation, I have to do it. And <laughs> so I think it was like a kick in the pants to get it done. And so that's when I started writing and I pushed off because I do freelance, a lot of freelance work. So I pushed off the freelance work and I said, we gotta like, we gotta get this done. And so that's when we started in earnest researching and writing the truth, the book. Wow, okay, well that is. <laughs> I often joke when somebody explains something like that. It's like God turning to Gabriel and say, hey, watch this. <laughs> watch what I'm going to do to Luke. This will oh, be great. Man. 
I surely wouldn't have done the book um, for years, maybe ever, even though I thought it was would be it needed to be done. I wanted someone else to do it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Jeepers. Wow. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's that was the impetus behind it. Wow. Okay, well, okay. In, in fairness, okay, I was gonna share my story. Okay, so I'm climbing with my it's not nearly as dramatic. No. Climbing with my kids at the uh, as a children's museum or whatever it is, it's a science place in Greenville, mm -hmm. South Carolina. And they have this you know, these tube things you can climb through, these little tube mazes, but it's all, uh, it, it's all clear acrylic. So it looks invisible, right? So you're, anyway. Oh. Of course, it's invisible to me, who's climbing through there with my kids when they're little, and it's not really meant for an adult. <laughs> I stand up, because I don't see what's above me. It's all clear, of course, right? Scrape the top of my head. I basically scalp myself. There's oh. blood pouring down. Oh kids are screaming, God. going, ah! Like the kids are, I'm bleeding all over this thing. Hold my head like this. There's blood flowing down. <laughs> Scaring children oh left gosh. and right. <laughs> well, that's and leaving leaving the facility early. All to, yeah, anyway, so but yeah, I didn't need stitches oh, or anything. No. But yeah, so that was my embarrassing story, which I still have a scar today on the very top of my head that uh, that burns very easily at the beak. So <laughs> well, kudos to you. Feel alone here on camera, at least. No. But yours was less, you know, less stupid. At least you, you have more of an excuse. Your thing was see through. I also have an anesthesia story where it was quite embarrassing, but I'll tell that another time. But <laughs> so we can we can trade swap stories again. Anyway, so this is for your kids, and it was it was intended to be like a, a comprehensive like Q and A for them. Like if someone asked you, well, why do you believe? Why does your dad believe this? Like where did this come from? Was it, was that kind of the like an apologetics book or what well, was this? Yeah, the intent was to be able to defend their faith and against all of the. Um, assertions that mainstream Christians will bring to them based on specific scriptures, mostly in the New Testament. So all of Paul's writings, Hebrews, and the Gospels. Mm. And, and I was trying to figure out how do we make this, how do we tie all of these questions together so I'm not just popping around the Bible and saying, well, let's go to this debated verse, now let's go to this one and this one. And I found for the book like this framework to tie it together, which is I thought, what do they all have in common? And I realized that all of the arguments that we should not be keeping the Torah laws that we see in the Old Testament stem from thinking that, that uh, oh, all of those arguments create contradictions within the word, yeah. basically. Ah. But specific verses. And so if you find the argument in... Second Colossians, that's, you know, like you can, don't judge any man for celebrating this or eating this clean meat or that. I mean, then you can go back to the Old Testament and find the verse that that contradicts. And you can pull those together and say, well, that is a contradiction in our doctrine. And so what the book does is it looks at 25 of those contradictions and it fleshes them out and puts the two verses up against each other and says, if the law is still relevant to our modern lives, then the contradiction evaporates. Mm. And so it presents the popular view, which creates the contradiction, and then it presents another view, which is ours of Torah observers, which solves the contradiction. And mm. that's it, that's the framework. And if someone ever asks my kids, why, what about Paul here? What about this in Hebrews? What about this in the Gospels? Then they can think, well, what contradiction does that create? and then they can help answer the question that way. I suppose some people would say, well, it's not a contradiction because there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament, and then Yeshua died, or Jesus died, and nailed the law to the cross. Therefore, it doesn't matter if they're contradictions because we're in a different dispensation. Mm. So what do you say to that one? I mean, how do you explain that one away to folks who are convinced of, of that? Well, I think that, we talk about in the second chapter, which is about like, who are we? Who are believers? How, how are we defined? How does Paul define us in Ephesians 2? He says that when once we were Gentiles and now we are grafted into the commonwealth of the house of Israel. Hmm. And I think when that is ingrained into modern day Christians' heart, then they realize that the things written to Israel are for them. And I also think that the idea of this dispensation theology does not align with scriptures at all because um, a lot of the commandments given in the Old Testament, given at Sinai, let's say, which is around 1,300, 1,500 years before Yeshua comes to earth, say that they're for a 1,000 generations, which is obviously more than 1,300 years. And so other ones just say they're forever. 
or for your good always, or for Israel always. Yeah. And so when you identify as Israel, or at least grafted in Israel, then you realize that these things are for your good always, and they're forever, and they're for a thousand generations. And so how is that 1,300 years? And so that kind of, to me, makes the dispensational thing just a weird doctrinal rationalization, which is, I think, a lot of the deep discussions and debates that go on in, in church doctrine and a lot of the papers and research that's been written is all trying to rationalize, really, a lot of the contradictions that don't have to be there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah, and truth should not have to be rationalized, should it? Right. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. In the way, it started out with the question, that's the documentary, about, you know, if Yeshua is the only perfect example we have, why are we deviating in any mm. way? This is the optimal human life. We should follow it as closely as we can. In the truth... There, that is a chapter. It's like, instead of asking WWJD, why don't you just do what Yeshua did? And then Luke kind of pulls out this handful of things in which the mainstream Christian uh, practice is different than what he did. And when you look at the, you know, the disciples and, and everyone in scripture, this is what they, this is how they were living. Mm. And everyone always wants to get back to that kind of the pure faith, the first century faith, and and these are things that we can do too. Yeah, especially now. when things get muddled, right? So people are like, you know, once they get tired of Christmas and Sunday and hearing the same thing from the pulpit and going, ah, there's something missing here. Mm. Well, yeah, then then we want to go, we want to start stripping away. Where does this come from, right? It's a, it's human nature. We we want to dig in ancient Egypt to find out how the Egyptians lived. We want to just dig down and and see the the floor of what we're, <laughs> what we're trying to find out, right? Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And I mean, you guys have done a lot of work in this area of like showing people, hey, let's look at what the people in the Bible were doing. Let's look at what the apostles, what feast were they keeping? What feast were Yeshua keeping? What holy days are they observing? How are they living on the Sabbath day? And which one is it? And what food are they eating? What are they wearing? And so that's what, those are the main differences between ourselves and mainstream Christendom. It's, it's a handful of things. It's mm-hmm. Zid that we wear, it's the Sabbath day, it's the holidays we celebrate, and it's not celebrating others. And identifying as like, you know, Israel. Yep. Like Michael says all the time, you know, Yeshua, his last commandment was to his disciples, go and teach what I taught you. Yeah. Don't tell other people about my life. I mean, yes, that's, that's mm-hmm. part of the, the gospel of the kingdom, but yeah. the rest of it is, I am the Torah. Get back to the Torah. You know, I, I often say to people, okay, so if Yeshua, in, as we learn in the New Testament, is the living word, okay, at the time the New Testament was being written, so at that time, what is the word to those folks? It's not the New, the New Testament's not even written yet. The word is the Old Testament. So if Yeshua is the living word, he is the Old Testament. So why are we tossing out the baby with the bathwater? Yeah, yeah. You know, it makes good no point. sense. Good point. Very good point. Wow. And this sort of thing, this sort of line of reasoning is not something that we just came up with ourselves. Like what you're putting forth here, the other things Michael has said, things that other ministries and researchers have done is basically what the book was. Because I, I am not a theologian. And that's another reason why I thought, how can I do this? I'm a journalist, I, you know. And so I just, of course, stood on the shoulders of giants. I, I looked at what you guys had done, what other people had done, tried to sew it together and write it in, in whatever my voice is. And I, I thought that that would be hopefully beneficial to get all of the stuff in one like location. And I, yeah. And so how, so now this is, uh, it's just come out in November. Yes. Right, so still relatively new. Uh, first of all, where can folks get this if, they, if they're liking this idea? Ah. It's at thewaydoc.com slash the truth. The truth. Okay. All right. Very good. So we can get it there. That's <laughs> awesome. Love that. Um, so you thought this would be a compilation of just things, but you said you've actually ended up learning things as you went, as if you didn't learn enough in the first two documentaries you went through. So as you're piecing this together, were there any moments where you went, oh, oh, I didn't realize that before? Man, a lot of the stuff was like looking into Hebrews and how do we rationalize Hebrews with the rest of scripture? Especially when it says he takes away the first that he may establish the second in Hebrews 10.9 and these sort of things, specifically talking about the sacrificial system. And so looking deeply into those things, I thought I already had a bulletproof like, um, 
understanding of that, of the new covenant. Mm -hmm. And that is where my understanding shifted during the research. And I think that, I hope that if I'm doing this honestly, when I'm doing these projects or when we're doing these projects, if we're doing it honestly, we will come and we think we know how it's gonna turn out, but as we do the research, if we're honest, sometimes our perspective will shift at least slightly. And so that was one of the things, new covenant and, and the details of that, which for me shifted a little and, and that's reflected in the book. Mm. And you know, we were talking about that earlier today where we have to be willing to shift our, our, you know, I mean, well, think about it. We came out of the Christian church to basically do Torah. Mm. So that was already a shift. Yeah. Who says that should be the final one? I mean, we can't beat each other up in this movement by, by saying, oh, well, I understand something different now. Uh, it's different than what I thought before because new evidence has come to light. Okay, if you are willing to accept it the first time, how about another time? As long as it still lines up with the Bible and nothing has changed and Yeshua is still our Savior and, and that's, you know, like, what's the harm in realizing something new? I mean, did you kind of hesitate when you learned that kind of stuff? Or this, this is super important, what you're saying, because we, I, we had to put a disclaimer at the beginning of the book that says, hey, we did everything we possibly could to be 100% right about everything. <laughs> However, <laughs> I'm sure we're truth. not. Yeah, because yeah. we're calling it the truth. We call it the truth Reformation 2.0, because it's yeah. like, <laughs> what else needs to be reformed out of church doctrine? But, but in the disclaimer, I say, we, we were honest about it. We actually changed our minds about some things. However, we might not be right. We might not yeah. be right about everything. So just, you know, research yourself. And I think that's what I love about this movement is that people do that themselves. They have a desire to follow Yah with all their heart, soul, and might, all their strength. And, and so in the doing, they become Bereans. They research, they do all this stuff. And I feel like most of the people in this movement have already written their version of this book, The Truth, just in coming up with a defense uh, for, for what they believe. Mm, love it. Okay, we're going to continue this talk. So uh, hang on one sec, and you hang on too. Thank you very much for bringing uh, Kate, Katie, pardon me, and, and Luke to us, <laughs> and their wonderful kids who are playing in the room next door. It's because of you that we can do this, that we can have programs like this and have these discussions, and you can know about you know, projects coming up like this that might help others understand what you do, why you do it, and maybe change their mind about some things. So thank you again for bringing these guys here, and we pray that you would continue to help do that. How do you do that? Through your donations. So we'll give you a couple minutes to do just that. Thank you. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live and your support of these guys, Kate and, Kate, I did it again, Katie <laughs> and Luke Abafi, I'm so sorry. My mom calls me Kate. No okay, problem. well, I'm gonna call you Katie because that's what you wanna be. So, okay. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we were talking about your new, uh, your newest project, a book. And uh, so during the break, we were talking about, well, it, it's interesting how it's different from other apologetics books. And it's almost like, you know, you had a trailer for this book, first of all, like a, a theatrical trailer for a book. That was different. Um, and so I guess taking that visual background of having uh, a documentary, you've, you've pulled that into a book. So could you explain how you guys did that? Oh, man. Oh, well, okay, there was a reason why we decided to do a book instead of the documentary, mm -hmm. instead of visual. Because I'm used to visual media, <clears throat> Katie and is too. And, um, but I was listening to this interview with Milton Friedman, the old economist, and he wrote this famous book, a, and then, when, after he released the book, uh, and his ideas were already becoming part of like mainstream e economics, he started to do interviews. And he got interviewed on radio first, and then he was interviewed on television when the television was first becoming a thing. And someone asked him, what is the most, what's the best form or medium of communication when you're trying to get across difficult ideas like he was. And he said, after looking at radio, after looking at te television and the book, he said, the written word is definitely the best way to get these things across. One, people can, if they don't quite understand what you said, they can go back and reread the paragraph without having to rewind. Two, and this is what he noticed when he was doing interviews on television after doing radio only, people reacted to him differently just because of how he looked. So they, they and the way, his intonation and the way that he delivered things visually, just like, you know, JFK, people that saw his debate, they thought he won, and people that heard it thought Nixon won, if it was Nixon. Mm -hmm. And um, so he said, these are the, the these three mediums, the best one for these ideas is, is the written word. And that rang very true with me. And I also do like writing, and that is my background. So, um, 
That's what we decided to do. That in order to really flesh the ideas out and give someone something that they can hold and go over and look at, and my kids in mind for this, yeah. I, I, it needed to be black and white text. Now there are illustrations, there are Venn diagrams and things like that that I forgot to mention, but to help get the same thing across. But mm. that's yeah. why we did, I think, uh, the book instead of a documentary. Yeah, because a documentary, you can, like you said before in other episodes, that you want to keep to 80, 90 minutes, mm-hmm. something like that. So if you're trying to really dive deep on an issue and bring out, okay, here's all the other evidence we never presented in the documentary because we didn't have time, now you can. Was that part of the, the vision yeah. of doing this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, well, you would have to make like 10 documentaries to get through all the things that we got through. Because um, what... I keep telling Katie throughout this process, this is eating the elephant. It's like trying to answer every debated verse <laughs> in the Bible that is brought up to a Torah observer. And, and I, that's why it was a daunting task to start. Because I thought, how could we, one, how can we do this? Two, won't it take an eternity to do? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and three, will we be able to do it justice? So I hope we did it justice. And it, I told her, the only way you eat the elephant is one bite at a time. And so we, that's what we try to do. And that's, what, but we, in order to do that, we needed 248 pages. I was gonna ask you how needed, long it is. So yeah, it's 200, okay. That's a needed, significant book. But you know, it's, uh, it has pictures. It has pictures in it, so it's, it's like only a handful, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like 70,000 words. Well, it's not like it's a kid's book. I mean, no, it's not a kid's book. It's definitely not. It's not mostly pictures. No. As much as we tried to make it, so. So now that's interesting though, okay, so like, most other apologetics books are not going to have illustrations. Yeah. Right. So, is, is your background in uh, documentaries? Is that why you decided to do this? Like, I'm, I still have to bring out that visual to make people get it. Was that it? I think the visuals are cool because it, you know, the written word is amazing for like conveying these complex ideas. And some people are just visual learners. And sometimes when you can distill a concept to something very, very Point. neat. Yeah, so for some of the images, like we made these Venn diagrams that show like, this is how a a mainstream Christian might think of like, who is the church? Who is Israel? Who is the bride of Christ, you know? And then this is how we think is actually a scriptural interpretation, but just to show it in a a Venn diagram, not a lot of text. You can just like visually um, wrap your mind around it that way. And, you know, Yeshua spoke in parables so often because it's like, you can look at a natural thing like, you know, sowing seeds or catching fish and uh, it'll light up a theological concept for you. Mm. And so it was kind of fun because I have the creative writing thing and Luke also in the journalism and he writes fiction to find new, fun, weird, like metaphors and pictures of these theological concepts to illustrate Mm. and help people picture in a a different way. So, I hear you guys are journalists and this, you all have skills, but it, I'm not hearing illustrator in this. Did oh, you have yeah. to find yeah. somebody oh, or did you yeah. do it yourself? Or oh, what? no, we, we couldn't do it. My drawings of, of like uh, getting these concepts across were the, the horrific stick figures. <laughs> and so that's where we started. We start with the horrific stick figure. Katie probably cleans that up. And then we needed to find an illustrator. We reached out to so many people, looked at portfolios online, and, and I was searching Instagram with hashtags, trying to find a, an artist who had a particular style. And there were lots of talented people who were booked and busy. Eventually, I find someone whose artwork I think is really interesting, and I message him. And then we get on a Zoom call so I can explain the concepts in the book. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've... I've done Passover forever, I clean, I understand. And he was talking about the Melchizedek priesthood and like he was totally Torah observant and understood all the concepts and on board. And I had hoped that the illustrator might be aware of the Bible Mm -hmm. so they could pull from biblical imagery and like really flesh out these pictures. But not only to have that, but to have somebody who is of the same understanding of the faith was just like, you can't have orchestrated that yourself. So no. that was very cool. And his name is Jesus. And he's very cool. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that's like a double thing. That's you know? awesome. He was a great guy and he did a, an awesome job. And think hopefully people like these pictures in there. Well, that's when you know that Yehovah is, you know, looking after your project and leading you along, humor, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a sense of humor yeah. too, right? That's what it seemed like. And, and, and we had seen that in the way, like, what? We'd seen that in the way and we'd seen it in the Christmas question. And then we saw it with this. Like, and especially in that instance with... Jesus, because we you can't we weren't selecting for that. Right, it was like a blind happened. yeah thing. 
Yeah. The other thing I'll just say is like a slight difference in this book is like it's a little bit cheeky at times. It's like a little funny, a little creative writing-ish, just like a warning. It's just not like a, a straight and you know dry like academic article. I think it's fun to get a little bit of your personality and to talk about really important concepts, but like have a little fun with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Why not? I mean, it's, it's your book. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably because I'm not like a theologian. That's probably why I thought let's try to just at least make it relatable if we can. Mm. And I think that images are part of that. And and if we can do the images that make sense on one viewing or the Venn diagrams, which do as well, it means that we understand the concept well enough that we can boil it down to that visual. Yep. And we try to do the same thing with every of these 25 contradictions throughout the book, where we have the popular Christian perspective, and we really try to get that down to one sentence. And then the truth, and we try to get that down to one sentence so that, mm. so that it was very um, quick where you can say, this is one view, this is the other view. And contrasting those ah, took a lot of boiling down. Katie did a lot of that where I would say, I, this is what I wrote and this is what I'm trying to say. And I would just talk to her in the kitchen after Max and Sam were finally asleep. And we would, we would discuss these things and we would finally like boil it down to something that made sense or maybe sort of made sense. And I was she, asking a lot of annoying questions. I was like, what do you mean by that? But what do you mean by that? And what do you mean by, and like just really pursuing it. And then he would say this really streamlined thing. And I'm like, well, is that sentence in the book? You know, write that down. Really, no, it's, so, no, it's not. You better write it down quick. Cause if you say, oh, I'll write it down tomorrow morning. You I don't have well, it. It's gone. So some good language came out of those like super annoying, my like, inquisition sort of style like, conversations. How does it not make sense? And then I, I was, <laughs> like just say it like you're say, saying it to a preschooler, you know? <laughs> and, but she's very good at that. Katie's very good at boiling. One of her talents is boiling down a difficult topic and, and making it un, understandable or, or packaging it in a way where you were like, oh, okay. I, I understand that. Right. And that's what we try to do with those like just intro sentences. And then we flesh it out further. And So would you say, now since you wrote it for your kids and you're boiling it down and trying to make it simple, is this intended for an audience that is kind of new to this and you want to help them along? Or, or what's the purpose of the book? I wouldn't say that because we hopefully will be saying some things that will hopefully be new to everyone who is in this walk and new to it or been in it for a while especially if they don't think they have the answer to every single question that their, their mainstream Christian friend or pastor brings them. And so if they say, what about Luke 7? What about, I mean, Mark 7? What about all of these? Mm -hmm. Then hopefully this will help them say, oh, at least this is this guy's take on trying to defend that. And, and no, we don't write it, you know, we don't fully write it to toddlers. We, no. but, but definitely, it, it, hopefully it's relatable. And uh, yeah. And the illustrations too, I think, will help a lot because I don't know if you guys had, you know, your mom and dad's Bible or something and they had the old pictures in there. And, you know, I can't remember what the, the font of the text was in that Bible, but I can sure remember the images. I can sure remember the paintings that they, they put, you know, every, every 20 pages or so in the Bible. Yeah. I remember those. And, I, and, you know, those are the... Those are the images I have in my mind of the stories of David and Goliath and, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all that. That's what forms your narrative are, are those photos. And, and the illustrations, I'm sure, help, like you said, they help solidify that concept for folks. Yeah. It helps them explain it to others, right? Because that's the idea of this, right, is to help others explain this to other folks. Yes, the audience is definitely targeted at, at, at like, people who believe this but want to have a rational rationale. Um, yeah. Writing forces you to, to distill your thinking so it's clear. I think it's easy sometimes to hide behind complicated, convoluted, like, you know, you're trying to explain things yourself and it's just like snaking all over the place. But if you have to say it in a really clean way, it, it was a good exercise. And making the illustrations was similar. We talked in another episode about if you're not trying to save yourself, why would you keep any of the Torah, right? right? And one illustration that ended up being in the book is called Two Kinds of Righteousness, because there are these two kinds spoken of in scripture. There is Yeshua's righteousness, the blood of that spotless lamb that covers us, and like this is where our eternal life, that gift is coming from. And then there's the righteousness of how we live our lives and steward our actions, our obedience to the instructions we've been given. And it talks about you know, in scripture, our level of reward, you know, and, and our heavenly father like noticing our behavior and, and noticing the acts and our righteousness of our lives. So there's an image in the book 
that shows kind of, you know, it's like a traditional heaven scene, just as like a caricature, but it's a line of people kind of waiting to get in the gates. And at that first desk where like you're seeing if your name is on the list, that's about Yeshua's righteousness. Inside the gates, there's a gift table. <laughs> you know, it's like the goodie bags. And those are all different shapes and sizes depending on how you stewarded your life. And that's about your righteousness. Mm. So that was like an image that helped me just quickly picture what's the difference when scripture talks about keeping yeah. the Torah versus being saved. We had a recent guest up here named Steve Seifkin, and he had this uh, great, uh, he teaches that the, uh, the law of Yehovah is like a, uh, read it like a law book. Don't read it like a religious book, read it like a law mm. textbook. Mm. And it's twist your mind around. And he said, yeah, we have to know the definitions in the Bible in order to get things straight. Just, like you're saying, justification versus sanctification. Yeah. They're two different things. And it's not all lumped together and everybody gets the same thing when you, you know, get to meet him. You're right, it's, it's all different. So now, a lot of folks will question us on these things, right? And so this is to help answer things. But Katie, you said that the book also helps to turn the tables. And what kind of questions we can ask? Is that how we're turning the tables? Yeah, because when you start getting the questions from your pastor, your friends, your family, you're like scrambling and you're like, how do I defend this? I don't know if I understand it perfectly. Um, but beyond just getting the answers to those things, there are questions that you can come back and say, well, wait a minute. If you think that over here, God said all food is, all, not all animals are food. And over here, like Yeshua was saying, all animals are food. Let's make that sort of make sense, you know, and have, have them be one of one mind. Mm. Um, so there are, like Luke said, holes and contradictions and questions that you can then bring to a friend who's questioning you and say, well, what about this, you know? So a good, good counter arguments using the whole law analogy again, where this is like a, uh, an exchange between the def defense and the, uh, <laughs> and the prosecution almost. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So let's go through a few of these. So there's, tw there's 25 contradictions in the book? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so what are some of the most popular ones that we can sort of just give an example up here. Yeah. All right, I think the, Katie brought up the best one because you have a Leviticus 11 that says, don't eat this sort of meat. And then you have, I think it's Mark 7, they'll, they'll correct me if I'm wrong, where Yeshua says all meat is clean. So his father says, not all meat is clean, and Yeshua says all meat is, in, is clean. And so that contradiction, which is on its face a contradiction, in the word, doesn't need to exist if that's not what he means in that right. bracketed phrase that's in some versions of the Bible. And um, so that's one we look into. So then mm. we zoom in on that and we, and then another one is Yah never changes and then he changed his definition of sin. And then so we, we show the verse that says he doesn't change, we show the verse that he changed his definition of sin. And what the one that say? came to mind came up in a conversation with one of Luke's friends about Torah and wanting to know all this stuff. It was thinking that Yeshua is sinless, and that he broke, he broke the Sabbath the at the same oh, time. Oh, right, yeah. It's like, how does that work? You know, yep. and so he teases that out in the book as well. Yeah, and, and so like, that's, yeah. That's, that's the framework. It's, it's what are, find the contradictions in the word, and then, and then visit them. Are they contradictions? Do they have to be? No, they don't. And right. so, and but even before all that, the intro of the book talks about like, why does any of this matter? What, you know, because a, a lot of times when you bring up that you, we think you should be keeping these laws to people in modern times. They say, well, what really matters is doing the Great Commission. What really matters is going and making disciples. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they say, this is all, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to, what do they say? It's right? minutia. Yeah, you're, yeah, just, you're, getting, you're doing petty. Like, it's not, it's it's not petty, the heart of the matter. It's not loving. It's not the heart of the matter. It's right. not spiritual, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Right. And so the beginning, the intro of the book says, First of all, what happens when we rewrite these things? The definition of words in the Bible, like sin, the definition of love, the de definition of law. When we, when we get away from how the Bible defines those words, then we definitely have a definition that's inferior to the biblical one. Mm. And it also, we have definitions that vary from denomination to denomination and Christian to Christian of all those things of love, sin, because someone will say it's loving to love your your son who, uh, you know, I don't know, killed someone or, uh, or well, no, that's a horrible example. <laughs> but love, well, I know what you're saying. Is, so basically, our culture is love is yeah. love right now. Like that's the big one, like sort of homosexuality and that kind of stuff. And this is love and love conquers all. And like, this is, you know, things like that. 
Yeah. They'll appeal to these, you know, They'll say love is between two men, you know, for right. marriage. Not love is, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself and that right. sort of thing. Basically, any time you have a relative definition of the things that the Bible defines in a solid manner, then you, you, you lose some strength of your moral compass that you find in the word. And so I think by returning us back to the definitions that are in the Old Testament, we, we bolster the sovereign morality that the Bible outlines for us. And in the doing, we're able to make disciples that are grounded in truth. So we can fulfill the Great Commission. We can go out, and but we can also show people the answer to all these questions that they're gonna get bombarded with by as modern society's moral code erodes so that they can stand strong and they won't find themselves doing what happened with Christians in Auschwitz and doing what happened with Christians in the USSR and, 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 and eroding or making, um, you know, it's okay if we do this because of society. No, it has to be, it's not okay that we do this because we know what's true. Right. And I think that we, we can't distance ourselves from that. Yep. Same thing is true, you know, when in, in my world when we're looking at uh, medical studies, there are you can skew the numbers. It can be the same number. So for example, these same numbers are like the same thing written in the Bible, but two people can see them completely differently. One can skew them. One is called an absolute benefit. One is called a relative benefit. Hmm. So the relative benefit, like you're saying, can be interpreted left, right, and center, but it's not the absolute, this is what it says, quit detracting from it. Yeah. Right, and and one will of course use the other to uh, to get some kind of gain out of it, mm -hmm. but yeah, absolutely. We just need to get back again. It's just getting back to basics, right? Yes, I mean, especially when it's absolute and it's there and defined, and mm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Enough said. The rest, you know, if we we could go on and on here, but you know, like like in the case of a documentary there'd be no need for the book, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so we are gonna wrap this up by, and now it's a, someone is usually watching this on Shabbat, so we're gonna say after Shabbat, if you'd like to get the book, and I do encourage everyone to support these guys, uh, they're doing wonderful work, where can we get your book? It is at thewaydoc.com slash the truth. Okay, very good, and excellent for not only Torah observant believers, but maybe those who are uncomfortable in the church pew, Trying if to figure out if this is for them or not? Yeah, if they're okay. like, I'm interested in this. Okay. This would be a good, I think, a decent place to start. <laughs> All right. And uh, it's, a, it's a labor of love originally for your kids, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Hopefully there's crossover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so Luke, Katie, thank you very much for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. You know, there's more to talk about here, but I think we're going to make these a couple of bonuses on the michaelrood.tv app, so make sure to look out for that. In the meantime, thank you for joining us for Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live for bringing us wonderful folks like Luke and Katie. And until next week, I will wish you Shavua Tov. Have a good week. Shabbat Shalom.